maybe just some confusion about um, fasting is uh, you might know that uh, we are not Catholic here, right? Uh, we're not Eastern Orthodox and we're not Catholic, which means we're Protestant, okay? And uh, you might remember from your Western civilization class or maybe if you're like a theology nerd, you know about this guy named Luther who nailed his 95 theses up on the, on the door and, uh, and started this Protestant Reformation. Well, a, a lot of the issues uh, that he had with these 95 theses revolved in around a protest of the sale of indulgences uh, to wealthy people who were cheating on their Lenten fasts. And so for many Protestants to even talk about Lent is like, that is suspiciously Catholic, right? You know, and it's also, and fasting along with it, like who would, why would you ever, you know, punish yourself that way? Or why would you ever, you know, want to engage in these kind of sketchy, weird religious practices that, don't have basis in scripture and and are you know kind of uh you know just the weird religion of catholicism that we're uh you know rebelling against we're protesting as protestants and uh and so i think it's understandable uh why we kind of don't know how to think about fasting as much in the west where we've been so influenced by protestant christianity but i do think that this situation is in many ways unfortunate because uh, one of the casualties of this schism uh, is that we've lost this ancient practice that used to be very commonplace in the early church. And we can look at church documents, we can look at the scriptures, we can see that this is actually a very biblical practice. And if we're missing this practice, then we're, we're kind of losing something that's an important part of our faith and in an important way that Christians uh, throughout the ages and that the people of God throughout the ages have connected with God. And we want to not lose those things and really investigate them. Uh, And in order to do that, I think it might be a good idea to start with Jesus uh, and the scriptures, particularly in Matthew 6. And uh, before we do that, I would like to just pray one more time and ask God to speak to us through them. So Lord, as we look to your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would illuminate um, what has been known and what has been um, experienced by the people of God throughout the ages to us so that we can connect with you. We ask you to speak to us through these words. God, if I say anything confusing or off base, would you just let those words fall to the ground um, and and let the truth that you want us to hear today uh, to really to really connect, to sink deep into our hearts, and to change us. And I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at the scriptures and consider this somewhat famous part of the Bible in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this is like part of uh, Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus kind of really summarizes like what his whole thing is about. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He sort of has this very condensed teaching in which he kind of applies and interprets and clarifies the Old Testament law. And in verse 16 of chapter 6, he says this. He says, when, not if, but when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Clean up. Right? So that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. And I think at this point, it might be kind of helpful for us to identify some of the things that we're not doing when we're fasting in this community. First, we're not dieting, okay? The, the point of going without food, if we go without food, is not to lose weight. <laughs> uh, while that might be an ancillary benefit to, uh, to, to um, fasting, that's not the point purpose that we're shooting at today. So the health benefits of fasting and all the dieting reasons, um, that's not actually what we're trying to do. Uh, we're also definitely not trying to like punish ourselves or like somehow uh, you know atone for our sins through self-flagellation. Like there's been some really weird, messed up practices in church history, and sometimes uh, fasting can be like connected to that. And we're definitely not trying to do that. In 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 all the ways that the Protestants were protesting those practices, uh, we definitely want to agree with that protest. That's not what we're trying to do. Uh, another thing we're not trying to do is like earn points, right? Like fasting isn't some sort of like magic or secret knowledge that, that gets us special brownie points with God or something like that, right? Like salvation continues to be by grace through faith. And fasting doesn't like, I don't know, make us special or extra Christian or it, and somehow make us like you know, super Christians that are better than all the other Christians who've never fasted. Okay, we're not, we're not doing any of that. And it's not some silver bullet. It's not some, like, magic trick that, you know, well, if you pray, God may or may not answer you. But if you fast, then God will definitely give you what you want. You'll definitely get your prayers answered. It's not that. That's not what it's about. Uh, but then I think one other thing that we're not doing, and I think this misunderstanding and this kind of, like, weird subculture that happens in, Christi- in Christianity sometimes is that we are not lying about fasting in order to be obedient to the verses that we just read, okay? And this is just, maybe this is just anecdotally my experience, but uh, I've experienced it in Christian communities that are trying to practice fasting in the past where, you know, somebody will be fasting and, you know, it's time to eat or something, and then like, People will ask, oh, hey, did you want something to eat? And people will say no, and oh, you know, what's going on? And then people will, like, panic and start, like, really freaking out about, like, trying to hide the fact that they're fasting because they're trying to be obedient to what Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 6. And, like, there can just be a lot of weirdness surrounding fasting. I think it's part of the reason we don't generally talk about it or understand is that everybody is freaked out and paranoid uh, to, to think that they're going to somehow make God angry Uh, by talking about fasting or talking about their experience of fasting in order to be obedient to those those couple of verses in Matthew 6. However, I note that, you know, prayer and fasting are almost always talked about together, right? And one of the main reasons we fast is to pray. And Jesus says something very similar about not talking about prayer or not making a show of your prayers in the next few verses. But we don't have all this stigma and all this insecurity and all this kind of like, crazy concern that we're going to step on God's toes by talking about prayer and praying in public. And we can recognize that when Jesus is saying, go to your closet and pray in secret, he's engaging in a little bit of hyperbole. He's saying an extreme thing to make a point. And then he's saying that when you pray, the point isn't to be seen as some holy person. You're not trying to one-up anybody. You're not trying to seem like a super holy person in order to Uh, make an impression on other people so that they'll admire you. That's not the point of prayer. And it's also not the point of fasting. 
And I think that what we need to understand about what Jesus is saying here is it's not, it's not like some really weird religious rule where you can never, ever talk about your fast. The point is that we don't want to be trying to one-up each other, compete with each other, or compare ourselves to others. We don't want to judge anybody for fasting, and we don't want to hold anyone in high esteem because higher esteem or unnecessarily high esteem uh, because they've fasted. Uh, really, we just need to remember the core of the gospel and the good parts of the Protestant Reformation, which remind us that salvation is by grace. It's because of what God has done for us and because we trust in that, that we're saved. And so any judgment or comparison in a Christian community is illegal because God is the one who saves us. God is the one who redeems us, and God is the one who makes us holy and acceptable and righteous. And so, when we talk about fasting and when we fast, we just need to keep all of that in mind. And so to help disabuse us of this weird attitude that we have about talking about fasting, I'm going to ask us to talk about fasting. So, here's how I'd like this to work. Uh, in groups of three, and I really would like to keep it down to a group of three because that means that some couples will have to decouple and talk to somebody they're not directly in a marriage or related to with, and, and it'll also mean that everybody has a chance to talk, um, wants to kind of get up, talk to each other, and I don't want anybody to feel like they have to share, okay? Like, if you're just, like, really, like, oh, man, this is way too intimate. I don't know if I can talk about this. Uh, you can just listen, and you can just say, hey, you know, I'd rather just listen to your answers if you don't mind, and that's totally cool, okay? So nobody's forced to answer, but I'd like us to just take a few minutes to talk about what is your experience with fasting? Like, have you ever fasted for any reason? And, and this could be even like, you know, if you haven't fasted for spiritual reasons, but you have fasted for medical reasons, like, well, one time I had to have surgery and I didn't eat for 24 hours. Okay, that's cool. Talk about that. Talk about your experience. If you have no experience fasting, that's cool. That's fine. We're not going to judge anybody. We're not going to say that that's bad. We're just going to say, this is my experience. And so we just want to kind of talk to each other, get to know each other, kind of understand where we're coming from. And so real quick, find a group of two or, you know, one or two other people and talk about it. All right? Ready, set, go. I hate to shut down such good conversation, but I do just want to keep us moving along. Uh, you know, I know, at least in the conversation I was having, we had both positive and kind of negative experiences fasting, and I think it's good to just kind of talk about those and try to understand them, learn from the negative and positive experiences. Uh, you know, one experience I shared was that, like, I really overdid it one time, and I decided to go on a, in, when I was in high school, I decided to go on a bike ride while I was fasting, and this pretty much resulted in uh, me fainting and getting a concussion, <laughs> and it was, it's kind of a wild story, but I'll, I'll share it with you sometime if you want to hear it, but, you know, there are, there are, are wise and unwise ways to do this, and you should probably, if you're thinking about, especially, like, going without nutrients for an extended period of time, take a little time to do some research on the internet and really figure out what you should and shouldn't be doing. Don't overdo it. 
don't kill yourself, all right? <laughs> God doesn't get honor uh, from that kind of thing. We, wanna, we really want to be gentle with ourselves, but if we engage in fasting, there are some benefits, and hopefully maybe you talked about some of those if you've had that experience. Uh, one thing I think that can, can help us here and, and really kind of help us connect to this tradition of fasting and to this practice that is ancient and isn't unique to Christianity. Plenty of philosophers have fasted and Gandhi definitely did like hunger strike kind of fasting and that kind of thing happens a lot uh, in different environments. Um, but I think one thing that can kind of connect us to this and what we're trying to do when we fast as Christians is Jesus' words in Luke 5, in verses 33 through 35. Now some Pharisees are coming and they're, you know, criticizing Jesus and they're basically saying, you're too licentious, you know, you guys, you, you, you party and you drink with the sinners and you, you know, you're just too loose, you, you, don't, you don't require anything. And they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. And this has actually been true, and this actually turned out to be true about the early church. Uh, we can see this in the writings of a church father named Epiphanius. I think I'm saying that name right. I'm not really sure. Bishop of Salamis. All right, somewhere in the ancient world. Uh, the thing to note here is that this is circa 315. So, like, that's actually before the New Testament canon was finalized. So, uh, this, is, this is, like, pretty old, ancient, uh, reliable source. Definitely doesn't carry the same authority as Scripture, but uh, something to look at. He said this. He said, Who does not know that the fast of the fourth and sixth days of the week are observed by Christians throughout the world? And so the fourth and the sixth days... Uh, one thing we get confused about sometimes is that Sunday is actually day one. So Sunday is the first day of creation, uh, and then we go throughout the week, and then Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath. That's the seventh day of the week. And so the fourth and sixth days, that would be Wednesdays and Fridays. And uh, if you know anybody who is an uh, Orthodox Christian or a Greek, sometimes called a Greek Orthodox or, a, or an Eastern Orthodox Christian, if they're part of that Christian tradition— uh, that Christian tradition still does have a strong practice in many communities of fasting on every Wednesday and every Friday. Uh, and it goes back to the days of the very early church. And so just understanding that like, this was such a normal and assumed part of Christian devotion and what it meant to follow Jesus uh, in the ancient world and in the time when the church was just like, sweeping across the known world, sweeping across the Mediterranean, is hopefully reorienting to us as Christians in America where fasting is quite a bit less popular and maybe even misunderstood. Uh, according to Casey Corum, who uh, is a worship leader, he's written some popular songs in the Vineyard Movement, and he's definitely, uh, definitely involved in the Vineyard Movement and, and knows a lot about our culture of worship uh, since especially since he was kind of like in charge of it for many years. Uh, he recently in a, a podcast, I don't know if any of you listen to The Ferment, but I highly recommend it. Uh, it really helps kind of just talk about what we're trying to do when we gather to worship together. Really great conversations about worship and spiritual transformation on The Ferment podcast. But I recently heard him talk in uh, a podcast about these kind of four distinctives of vineyard worship and being a, you know, 
being a good pastor's kid, uh, he, you know, he makes them all start with H, right? So, uh, you know, the, the four distinctives of vineyard worship is, number one, is hunger for God. That when the vineyard started, there were these people who were kind of hurt, and they were really connected with just how broken they were and how kind of hopelessly sinful they were. And when they were meeting in their living room, they came together, and the reason they started meeting is because they knew they needed God, and they were just hungry and, and desperate for God to do something. Uh, vineyard worship is also human. You know, we want, we want to just connect with, like, how actually needy we are, uh, but also just, like, how good we are as being made in the image of God, kind of both sides of that. Humble, we want to be humble in our worship. We don't want to be arrogant and, and kind of too, too focused on the victory, too, um, too focused on the kingdom being right now. Uh, worship is also a home. It's, it's a place that we go, and hopefully it's, a, it's not just songs that we sing on Sunday, but it's a place that we live. Uh, we live, hopefully, in a state of worship. Um, but one way that we connect with this hunger for God is by experiencing physical hunger. And we live in a culture and a time and a moment in history where it, it is totally possible to never experience hunger. Uh, in our lives. Like we can, we can, if we want to, never have to go hungry, most of us, unless we make the intentional choice to choose to be hungry. Hunger is not something that many of us experience uh, unless, uh, unless we're uh, really, really struggling financially. Um, but one way we can think about fasting is fasting helps us connect with our physical hunger And that physical hunger helps us understand what it means to want God, to be hungry for God, to be in touch with our need, to be in touch with our frailty as human beings, and to cultivate a hunger for God that is healthy and life-giving. Jesus said this, and I believe that this is not uh, unintentional. In that little preamble to to the Sermon on the Mount, He's, he's going through the Beatitudes, and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, when we connect with our hunger, when we experience hunger, and it reminds us to pray, and we cry out in desperation out of that hunger to God, it changes the way that we pray. It changes the way that we think, and it can be a way for us to really meditate in a kind of physical way on our hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus says something very encouraging to us here. He says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That when we seek God, he will fulfill us. He will satisfy us. He will meet us in our need. And there's something good that can happen when we fast and connect with our need, uh, that God can meet us in that place and sustain us and encourage us and, and help us to receive his strength which goes beyond our own physical abilities and limitations. So one other way that we can really understand what fasting is and what we're trying to do when we fast is to really look at the kind of etymological history of this word. So the word fast comes from the Old English, I think, is it feast? I don't really know how to pronounce that A-E. It's like a, it, it just, it's just fast, huh? Okay, all right, thank you, English major. I appreciate that note. That's helpful. All right, so... Uh, you know, it, it comes from this old word, and what fast means is it means firmly fixed. Uh, we see a, a linguistic remnant in the word steadfast, right, which is actually our theme for the, the art thing that's happening, right? Uh, if someone's steadfast, then they're really steady, right? They're not going anywhere. Uh, 
You might have heard in like Pirates of the Caribbean, somebody yell, hold fast, you know, like make fast the rigging, you know, that kind of an expression. Uh, and we also see this linguistic connection in the word fasten, right? And so to fast is to kind of pull two things together and, and make them tight, make them one. And so one way that we can understand what we're doing when we're fasting is that a fast unto the Lord means that we're fastening ourselves to God, that we're disconnecting from food, we're trying to disconnect from the world, we're forgoing one thing in order to fasten ourselves to God, in order to hold fast to Jesus, in order to become one with God. And so the thing that is, you know, if you only take one thing away today, this is the point I really want to drive home. The one we fast to is more important than what we fast from. And so if we go without food, or we go without social media, or we go without hot showers, or I don't know what you want to do. I, that one seems a little silly to me. I don't know. But, but if you go without something, if, you do, if you're practicing a Lenten fast, if you're going without meat, or you're going without coffee, or going without alcohol, or whatever, the point of that, and the point of that practice that's rooted in history and in Scripture, is to say, these things are less important than God, and I don't need these things as much as I need Jesus. And I want to put these things in their place so that they don't control me and so that I am devoted completely to the Lord. The one we fast to is much more important than what we fast from. And so there are a lot of different types of fasting and there are a lot of ways, different ways that we can do this. There are a couple examples of corporate fasts in the Old and New Testament. And so I'm guessing that people probably knew that we were all fasting together when we were fasting together, right? Uh, this happens in the book of Ezra when um, the Israelites need protection. You know, they, they call a fast and everybody fasts and prays and God answers their prayer and keeps them safe. Uh, this happened a couple times and was going on in the book of Acts. We see that the church all fasted and prayed together. So everybody all together said, we're not going to eat, we're going to pray, and we're going to do this thing in community. The partial fast that's somewhat uh, becoming popular, uh, and this kind of slides kind of into that dieting a little bit, is the Daniel fast where you only eat vet vegetables, right? So just abstaining from meat uh, and from dairy, uh, and, and just eating vegetables, uh, this has become kind of like a, a little bit hijacked, I think, by our culture of dieting. But, you know, partial fasts are also like historical and a way to uh, remember God. You know, a Nazarite vow can be seen as a partial fast, you know, abstaining from alcohol, abstaining from certain kinds of uh, meat and animals and that sort of thing. Uh, a partial fast is kind of maybe a more sustainable way uh, and a lot of us during Lent for 40 days might practice a partial fast uh, in that way. Uh, supernatural fast, uh, you definitely have an example in Deuteronomy 9.9 where Moses doesn't eat water or food. Okay, like I would say uh, maybe don't try this one uh, <laughs> unless you're just like really, really sure that God is speaking to you. And maybe have some kind of safety net in, involved if you, <laughs> if you do think God is trying to speak to you this way. Uh, a supernatural fast requires God to keep you alive because you will die if you don't drink water for 40 days, okay? Uh, maybe Jesus did this in Matthew 4, 2, or maybe it was just a complete fast in which you completely abstain from food, but you drink water to stay alive, and that definitely was taking place in Acts 9, 9, and maybe it was 
what Jesus did when he was in the desert, or maybe not. It's a little unclear exactly uh, how extreme Jesus was in that story of fasting and praying in the desert in Luke 4.2. But there's a lot of different types of things and a lot of different ways that we can practice this. The thing I want us to understand are the right motivations in fasting. So the the main way to understand fasting is sort of like a power-up to prayer, if you will. It's sort of like an add-on to prayer that is meant to clarify and intensify our efforts to pray. It helps us stay focused, it helps remind us to pray, and it helps us pray more fervently when we go without food. So in that connection with need, in that experience of constantly being reminded by our body that we're hungry, uh, we can find a focus and an intensity that helps us pray. And that's the main thing that fasting from food in particular, or any other kind of fast, uh, that's what we want, right? The point is that we connect with Jesus. The point is that we cry out to God. And the main reason that we fast, and that I want us to fast if we fast at all during Lent or any other time, uh, is so that we'll pray and so that we'll be able to connect with Jesus. The second way, and and right motivation, and this is actually something we did last year with the Seed Grant Initiative, was we said, hey, we're going to fast, and whatever we don't spend on coffee or booze or whatever we were abstaining from for that 40-day period in Lent, we took and we brought that money and we gave sacrificially to raise $1,000 and then we did little small community grants uh, out in the community. Uh, I think that that was maybe a little bit ambitious for us at this stage in our, our church's development. I'd like to do that again in the future, uh, but we're going to take it easy on that this year. But that idea of fasting in order to redistribute resources is also thoroughly biblical and a practice that the church has engaged in uh, throughout the centuries. The last reason, and and this one kind of loops back into reason number one, is that we experience solidarity with the poor. And this is something that uh, is, again, a little countercultural, but in the church, you know, the church has always been composed of the weirdos, the losers, the ignored, the people on the fringes of society. And by fasting, we make the intentional choice to say, we want to experience what people who don't have the option to eat are experiencing. We want to connect with and understand the experience of people who are really legitimately hungry because they cannot afford to feed themselves. We want to experience what it's like to be, uh, to be those who cannot help themselves so that we can grow in compassion, so that we remember to pray, and so that we can react the right way when we meet a person who has need so that we can feed the hungry and remember that it's important to feed the hungry by connecting with the experience of hunger. Those are some good and right and historically um, grounded motivations for prayer. Um, I want to read one last scripture And then I want us to do another little prayer and discussion exercise. So this is um, from Isaiah 58. And I feel like this really kind of drives home the purpose of fasting and what it's supposed to be all about. The Lord said to Isaiah this. He says, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion 
and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And here's God's reply. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? We see that redistribution here, right? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am, or here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine, will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." And so for this last discussion question before we decide to pray for each other, um, I want us to consider this question. But first I want to ask this question to God, and then I want us to kind of talk to each other about it. So here's what I'm going to propose, all right? Kara's going to talk about silence next week, but I want us to kind of get a little practice in practicing silence. So we're just going to take a moment to try to listen to God, right? And we want to ask God this question. What is something, Lord that you want me to say no to so I can say yes to you, okay? And so that's the question we want to ask God. So let me just welcome the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll ask that question. We'll wait in silence for a minute or two. And if you don't experience anything, that's okay. You can just talk about that experience too, okay? We're learning how to hear God's voice. But we just want to wait in silence for a minute or two and just let God speak to us, okay? So Lord, we welcome your Spirit. We trust you when you say that your sheep know your voice. 
we know what you're like because you've revealed yourself to us. And so God, I ask that you'd speak to us. Show us what we need to turn away from so that we can turn to you. Now, I hate to interrupt, but you know, you can do that later too if you want. Just get quiet before God and see what He says to you. Um, Now, I'd like us to kind of talk about what we feel like God might be saying to us. And if you're unsure, just be honest about that. That's okay. There's no judgment, right? Um, But try to discuss in your group of three or two, if you couldn't find a third, what is something God would ask you to say no to so that you can say yes to Him? Talk about that. Okay. Well, hopefully everybody got a chance to share. I also maybe think I see some prayer going on, so please don't let me interrupt that. If you can just pray right over me talking, please do. Um, so now's the part of our service where we really connect with God and God does stuff. So I would invite you to uh, pray about it. The way we're going to do that is uh, the way that we usually do it, which is we're going to do one more song of worship. And during this time, uh, if you want prayer, come forward, stand in this, um, either kind of around the communion table here or up in the front. Uh, The reasons for that is that while it is kind of like a public declaration by stepping forward that like, hey, I need prayer, I want someone to pray for me, it's also actually more private up here when the service ends. Everybody's going to go walk that way, and so you kind of have a little bit of um, of privacy while you pray, even though you're kind of also publicly declaring that you want God to do something. So it kind of hits both of those needs in our community. Um, but while I was preparing the sermon and just like praying about this and re- uh, reflecting myself, uh, I actually really got the sense that maybe some people are just like, man, I just feel overwhelmed. I just feel like I don't have it. I'm not enough. I don't know what to do. Uh, and I feel like God would speak into that and just have some things that are really encouraging to you to say. And I think, you know, one of my concerns in even talking about fasting is that, like, I'll just add more to that fire of, like, man, I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes, and I feel bad because I don't fast, right? You know, that's not what the Lord wants for us. That's not the point of this sermon. That's not the point of talking about fasting. And so if any of that is, like, where you're at and what you're feeling, man, please come forward and get prayer. Um, Another just couple things is just like that hunger and thirst for righteousness. If that's, if that's really touching your heart, if you're really feeling like, man, there's just something that I really want to see change. And I feel like God might be calling me to fast and pray about that. Uh, let's, pr- let's start together right now. You can come get some prayer, and we'll pray with you for that need, whatever it is. Uh, and then I would just also say, like, generally, uh, if there's anything you want prayer about, you want healing, you feel like, man, I'm struggling with this thing, whatever it is, uh, come forward and get prayer during this time, okay? All right, so if you would, please stand. And then just to remind everybody, the way this works is if you want prayer during this last song, you just step forward, and then somebody who's been trained on our prayer team will just come up, they'll place their hand on on your shoulder and just ask how they can pray for you. Um... If any of those things connected uh, specifically that I shared, 
uh, you know, please respond to that. Or if you want prayer for literally any reason. Uh, part of the reason that we want to talk to each other is that we feel more comfortable asking for prayer. And we feel like we can share the things that we really need to pray about and pray about in community with each other. And so that's what this time is for, um, and that's what we're going to do. So if you want prayer during this last song of worship, step forward. Let's worship. <laughs>